Thank you so much for joining me. I'm honestly so excited to have you on the podcast because I love everything that you put out there. Um, before we really jump into all the questions that I have and, and topics that I want to discuss, can you just tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. So hi, um, my name is Jess. I am the founder of Rooted in Routine on Instagram. Some of you may have seen me there, um, but I am a pediatric occupational therapist by training, and I'm also a mom of a 19-month-old son. So cute. My daughter's 19 months old. When was his yeah. birthday? Uh, August 26th. Oh, she's August 21st. They're like little twins. Wow. <laughs> How did you get started into this industry? I mean, like this is such a, an amazing, you know, type of career to go into. What got you started? Yeah, so I, um, in college, I always wanted to do something with children. I just was drawn to them, I think, from a young age. Thought I wanted to be a teacher. Shout out to all the teachers. I honestly think that is the hardest job in the entire world. Um, <laughs> so I kind of pivoted and was looking more into healthcare-related um, options. And then I found occupational therapy, and I just really liked what it was and kind of the philosophy behind helping people. Can you explain with... it a little bit before, like, for people yeah. that just have no idea? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's very misunderstood because I think the name, like the term is a little bit odd. Um, so the word, so it's, it's an allied health profession technically. So it is in the same category as a physical therapist, a speech therapist, um, some types of like therapists and other things. Um, but the word occupational refers to what occupies a person's time is the best way to describe it. So at each stage of life, depending on if you're a kid, if you're an adult, if you got injured or you have an illness or some sort of disability, whatever typically occupies your time and you need help getting back to that or help doing that in a better way, um, that's what an OT, an occupational therapist, will help you with. So it can look really different depending on who you're working with. Okay. Wow. And so you mostly work with pediatrics, you were saying. Yes. Yes. So I went to graduate school. I got my master's in occupational therapy um, like nine years ago now, which is crazy. And then I went right into pediatrics after graduation and I've been in pediatrics ever since that, ever since then. Wow. And so what, how did you gravitate towards this page rooted in routine? Yeah. So, um, I worked in pediatrics in a lot of different pediatric settings, you would say. So I've worked in like elementary schools, preschools, daycares, and then more like medical based private clinics. And then recently, most recently, I started working in what we call home health and early intervention, which is when you as a therapist go into a family's home and work with the parent and the child there um, with children with any anything from mild developmental delay to more severe medical conditions and really helping the parent feel empowered on how they can help their child at home. And that's kind of where I found a passion for what, what I call routines and helping a parent feel like they are confident in knowing, like, what do they do all day with their baby or their child to feel good about it? Um, and so that's kind of what made me want to create my page just to provide that more education and reach more people than I could reach in person. Yeah, I love that. I know I see a lot of like potty training, that's a big topic, and newborn yeah. sleep and all these things. And I want to touch on those, but 
I want to ask you too, like what are the most common questions that you're asked that people come to you about that you're able to help with most of the time? Yeah, so it, it can be really broad, um, which is, you know, I do touch on the same types of topics as you mentioned, but I would say the, I would say most recently, um, parents will ask me a lot about sleep. I think sleep is difficult regardless of how old your baby is. <laughs> um, so sleep. And then I do also get a lot of questions on, um, play and a behavior, if you will. So like tantrums or child be having a difficult moment and that kind of falls into like self-regulation and emotional, social, emotional regulation, which is an area that I'm super passionate about. So I would say those two, um, it can change though. It, it changes like month to month, I think. Yeah. Because there's just so much information that you yeah. have to give. So you're able to kind of cover all those topics. So as far as like the social emotional side, what does that look like? Like what, what tips would you have for maybe new moms out there or moms with toddlers or, or kids that you have um, in that area? Yeah, so that's definitely a difficult topic, I think, for any parent of a toddler. You can probably relate. Yep. <laughs> I think, like, starting around one, we see what, you know, what we call in the U.S., like, like as tantrums, right? Um, and I think the most important thing that I like to explain to parents is that tantrums, so, like, your child, you know, throwing a fit or not wanting to do something or screaming or saying no, those are all really normal um, it's normal for a toddler and an older child, a preschooler or up to start to communicate their wants and needs and how they feel. So really that's just a sign that their brain is developing and they're able to communicate to you that they don't want to do something, um, or they feel a certain way about something and toddlers, especially, uh, our children's age, they don't really have the full words to communicate how they feel so they communicate through their bodies so I always say anything they're doing is really them communicating something to you so if they're hitting you if they're pulling your hair if they're throwing things if they're saying no you know that's just really a form of communication because they don't have the rational words to tell you um so normalizing that is really is something I'm passionate about I think parents will feel like you know, they don't, they're doing something wrong or their child is being difficult or manipulative. And, you know, that's typically not the case. They're really just going through a normal part of development. I um, love that. I love to hear that because like you said, I feel like a lot of people could go that everything you said, but mostly I hear all the time, like they're just being naughty. They know better. They know it, but it, it's good to normalize that they don't really like they don't. Mm -hmm. My daughter's thing is when she's mad, she smashes her head on the ground, finds a spot, wow. like literally will go pick a spot. And I'm like, wait, what is going on? You know? Um, so it's just like those behaviors she's just trying to communicate. I love mm -hmm. to hear that. So what else can we learn from that? Yeah. And you're not alone. That's very, very common. I will say if it's happening like, you know, multiple times every day that, that you'd want to get a little, some help because we don't want her hurting herself. No, but yeah, no, normal. I guess I, I made it sound really bad. No, she'll just, <laughs> smashing was the word that made it sound bad. Oh, yeah. But no, she'll like get mad sometimes. And like her thing is she'll just go and like, like bang her head on the ground. Like, and then she'll be like, I, I don't even think she does. She doesn't even do it very hard, but it's just like, <laughs> that's her way of being like, no, I'm mad. <laughs> like, oh, yeah, Lord. exactly. 
Yeah, and them, again, them using their bodies to communicate emotions is very normal. So yeah, she's telling you she's mad or she's frustrated because you didn't give her something she asked for or yep. whatever. Um, so I first like to explain this. I'm going to try to make it super like easy to understand because I can get like really like science nerdy. Yeah, I, well, <laughs> I love it. <laughs> but um, the first thing I like to explain is to is as a parent, try to think about separating your child's emotion, their feeling from their behavior. So how they're acting. And those are two separate things. So in your example, right, she's mad and she's hitting her head against the ground. Those are, those are separate. Um, and so then you can realize, okay, she's feeling this way. I always recommend validating her feeling. So even though she's not telling you she's mad, you know she's mad. So saying something like, I know, I, I see you're really mad or like you're mad that I did this um, because that's the only way she's going to learn the word mad, first of all. Um, and then really just almost, if it's an unsafe thing, you of course have to swoop in and like help her, like maybe move her body if she's hurting herself or if she's like hitting, let's say she's hitting a sibling move her body away but other than that it's almost like i think we as parents do too much we do too much so doing less like really just doing nothing letting it pass is typically what i recommend but not ignoring um, it at the same time like acknowledging right. okay and kind of teaching a teachable moment like this is the feeling that you're feeling yeah um acknowledging it and every kid's really different so i've worked with kids who like to be left alone oh. in those moments and they really do need their space and kind of just get it out of their system other kids you know maybe they benefit from mom going over and like giving giving her a hug or like offering offering like a cuddle or something um that's a little trial and error like see what your child tends to respond to i think but that why she does it is because like i'm just <laughs> thinking about it now and, like, she'll do it. Like, she'll pick, like, actually look for a spot around, go pick a spot, and, like, bump her head on the ground. Mm -hmm. And then she, like, gets up, looks at me, and cries. Like, oh, look, I have a reason to cry now. And then she'll be like, want me to hold her. Like, like you just did yeah. that to yourself. What are you doing? <laughs> I mean, and in that moment, I would say then, you know, go over to her, give her a hug, hold her, and that's it. You don't even have to. What I, what I don't recommend trying to do is like over explaining what's happening and almost like trying to have a rational conversation with a toddler. Like, yeah. They're not going to get it. And, and actually, in fact, the, you know, teaching and talking about what happened is best done a little bit after it's over and they're calm. Um, so in the moment, sometimes fewer words is better, but that's also, again, like super personalized. Some kids can do better with like hearing mom's voice and wanting to kind of talk you through it and others will just literally want a hug and that's it so I don't know if that's helpful <laughs> yeah no definitely I just always like I see her do this sometimes and it's very rare that she does it but I'm like girl what is happening but it you know it really does make sense and I and I think kind of bringing awareness to the fact of like she doesn't know what mad is she doesn't know that word so right. people that are listening that's just such good advice to be able to go to her and just say like, this is what you're feeling, you know, that kind of thing with yeah. your toddler. What's, what's been the biggest, you know, thing you've had to overcome or, or struggle that you've dealt with. Maybe there's some other common ones out there. Yeah. So in terms of like tantrums and behavior, um, 
right now we're definitely going, he's definitely going through a, um, a throwing stage and it's, it's, a, it's definitely like a, like testing. So, <laughs> so toddlers will test you. They will do something that they want to see how you react. Um, and that's very normal too. And I, and I think we could call that they're being naughty, they're being manipulative, but really they're just testing to see what is mom going to do if I do this? And I always recommend parents, A, don't have a big reaction. If you get really upset or animated, they're going to think it's fun. Yeah. That's just kind of a fact. So, for example, he's in a really big, long stage of during mealtimes when he's done taking his entire plate with food still on it and, like, throwing it like a Frisbee. Oh, so. good. Good. <laughs> and it, it actually – I'm actually realized like I can handle it. I, so I basically, I try to, um, not ignore it, but I don't yell or raise my voice or get all excited. Um, because then he laughs because it's fun. I, I, you know, in his mind, he's like, Ooh, I got mommy to yell. Yeah. Um, so my husband has a hard time with it because he's a very clean, cleanly type of guy and he doesn't like the mess that it makes. Sounds like my husband. He's like, oh, the carpet. Um, <laughs> but yeah, that's kind of what we're going through now. So in those moments, I always recommend, A, try not to respond in a super big animated way if you can. Sometimes it's impossible. Like I'm like, ah. Um, and try to respond the same way every time. Because if you oh. change it up, if you're like, if some days you're like ignoring it and other days you get all upset and other days you, you know, if some days you give him his plate back and other days you don't, that can be really confusing. So I do recommend if it's the same thing that's happening, try to respond the same way. Uh, Cause that consistency is important. They're like trying to test, like will mommy react the same way every time? I don't know. Yeah. Like almost having a routine for when they do that. Like, you know, yeah. his thing is throwing. So you're going to have a routine for when he throws something like, you know, and the same with me when she when she gets, you know, upset and she does this little, like, weird head bang thing. Yeah. I'll do the same thing. Like, oh, I know you're mad. Like, do you want me to give you a hug type of thing? And and that's so – that's such good advice, just kind of having that same routine every time. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. And also getting other – what we struggle with personally is having, like, every adult who's there during meals act, react a similar way because that's tricky. Oh. If, you know, like – Sometimes he goes to my parents' house. So then, like, you know, grandma and grandpa obviously react differently than mom. And that's okay, but it can be a little bit confusing if they're getting different reactions from different adults. Yeah. It can't be perfect, though. It's never going to be perfect. Yeah, absolutely. But that I love that, though, just kind of keeping things consistent for them as much as you possibly can and not doing those they're having those big, huge reactions because, again, it might even turn into a game at the end of the day for them, you know? Like, oh, can't wait till, you know, I'm done. I'm going to throw this. Then mom's going to be like, whatever. Um, uh-huh. So I know one of the big things out there, and I know a lot of moms listening are in that um, or starting to get into it or will be into it soon, the whole potty training situation. And, you like, we're coming up on it. We've been – We've been, since she turned 18 months, she's shown a lot of interest. So I've kind of just been doing undies during the day and like, you know, potty timer and blah, blah, blah. But um, I know that's a really broad question, but like, what are your go-to, um, 
advice for people in that genre? Yeah, that is a broad question, but it it also is one of my favorite topics. Oh, like, awesome. <laughs> okay, awesome. Yeah. If you follow me on Instagram, you'll know that I talk about potty training a lot. I, As an OT, we are trained in what we call, this is a little bit background, but activities of daily living, which is a silly term, but basically just means those like day-to-day things that every person does. And going to the toilet is one of them. So it's like getting dressed, brushing your teeth, taking a bath or a shower, just those like basic stuff that seem really silly and simple, but they're not. Um, So anyways, that's kind of where I got my love of the toileting process because it's so cool. Like once you teach your child to do it, they're going to do it forever. Yeah. Um, You know, it's like, I think it's just such a, it's like such a transition into independence, but anyways, um so there's lots of my general philosophy and some some tangible tips is that you know there are lots of different methods people like out there of how you want to eventually teach your child to use the toilet rather than go in a diaper um and neither one is better or wrong or you know better than another but I do always like to educate parents of regardless of whether you're going to try to do like the method where you leave them naked for the whole weekend or you, you know, do it more gradually or you use sticker charts or not. Um, I, I believe that starting young and preparing them and introducing them to just the concept of it and the idea of it is really important because if they don't know what it is until they're three, like if they've never really read a book about it or watched mommy go or had a chance to even just like explore the toilet and practice sitting on a pot, their potty, it's going to be scary um, for them. So, because I always say kids don't like surprises. They really don't. They really don't like new things. They, they naturally will be a little bit anxious if something's brand new and they feel pressure to do it. So my biggest advice is regardless of what you're going to end up doing around 12 to 18 months, like you're already doing, um, buy a few books, like potty books, like, you know, Sesame Street or whatever your kid likes, buy them a little small potty without any pressure or expectation to start actually going, but just let them play with it, practice sitting on it. Um, and that can be a really great introduction to help warm them up to the idea of it. Yeah. And when it comes to potty training, is there any big do not, do not say, do not do's that you, that you like to share? Yes, there are some. Um, I never want to make a parent feel like badly if they did these things, obviously. Um, but there are some that I do recommend you stay away from. So number one, I don't love using bribes and or rewards that are food-based okay. to go to the party. So I know a lot of people, like I've heard out there, like the M&M thing. Um, and, you know, that's okay if you use M&Ms, don't worry. <laughs> if you're like... I don't. I don't use any anything. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think... <laughs> Some people listening might have, and that's okay. Um, but food gets really tricky, first of all, because um, that's a whole other topic. But having kids think that like some food is 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 good and some other foods are bad, or you know, like they get some they get like a tasty treat for doing something is not ideal in terms of their relationship with food and like intuitive eating and all of that. So if you're going to use a reward, um, I would recommend either like a sticker chart or um, or if they're a little older, some kids do really well with like understanding that if they sit on their toilet X amount of times or 
you know, this many days, maybe they earn a special trip to the park with mommy or like an experience. Um, that can work for older kids, not necessarily our, our kids. Yeah. And then the other thing I don't recommend is, um, what was I going to say? Oh, the other thing I don't recommend is, um, is referring to poop. I'm just say that. Yeah. As, um, like, as like gross or yucky. And that's hard because we, na- I know I naturally sometimes I'm just like, ew. Yeah. Um, right. But if kids, if babies and kids from young age think of it as like gross or yucky, it can, it can make them think that it's like bad or they don't, they're, they're not comfortable with it. And that can cause a little bit of poop problems in the future. So that's another one. That's good to know because, so what happens when your kid has an accident in their underwear? Cause I'm always like, oh no, like, ew, we don't want that on our bot. Like we don't want that. Let's get it off. Like, I don't know if that's, that's the yeah, right. that's okay. That's okay. And telling them, cause, and I'm glad you mentioned accidents cause they're very, very normal. So that's also good to know. Like it's normal. They're going to have an accident. They're just learning. Um, I would respond. I always recommend responding as neutral as you can, like kind of as neutrally. So you're not scolding them. You're not making them feel badly about it. Um, but you can, you know, matter of factly tell them like, Oh, we don't poop in our underwear. You know, poop goes in the toilet. Let's go put it into the potty. Um, and just telling them where it goes next time. But that's not wrong. That's, that's okay to say. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Cause it, it, it is unclean. Like, right. Like it's, it's, we don't want poop on the floor yeah you don't like, want them like playing with it thinking it's like silly putty exactly <laughs> uh. like it's just you can say like it's not safe to touch or it can make you sick like that's kind of true like yeah if, if you touch it right like it can make you feel sick okay what while we're on the t- potty topic okay a lot of people have kids that are in daycare how how do you recommend potty training when your kid is in daycare and the daycare just is like well you let us know when that kid is potty trained like how does that even work yeah that can be really tricky that's so interesting to ask me that because um my my sister-in-law actually recently asked me that and I got a lot of friends asking me this so it kind of depends on whether the daycare is willing to or typically like is involved in it or not because some daycares have they are they actually will like basically potty train the child there um Others, as you said, I feel like put it more on the parent and say like, hey, like you do it, you know, you start to do it at home and then let us know how they're doing. So first of all, I always recommend like ask the daycare staff, the teachers, the director, like what is their potty learning philosophy and are they able to be involved? Because I personally think if a child's there five days a week, you know, eight, you know, nine to five, like that's a lot of their life of their week. So it's going to be difficult if the daycare is not doing anything related to it. Um, so if they can bring them to sit on the potty a couple times a day, even just to keep the momentum going, yeah. that's really helpful. Um, but then there are, you know, a lot of that prep stuff that I talked about, you can do at home regardless, and you can sit your child on the potty even morning and morning and evening just to start get them used to it, even if they are going to daycare in the middle of the day so is there a little tricky 
Yeah. Is there a good time if people are very, and I know we talked about age, but um, is there a good time to start the potty training process? Like if a parent is listening to this and it's like, well, summer's coming up, that's the better time. Or, you know, oh, the weekend's coming up, so that's the better time. A long weekend's coming up the end of May, so yeah. let me wait till that. Like, is there... So that really depends on what method you're using. Okay. And if you are choosing to use a method that's like a like a weekend, like three-day method where you're hoping to leave them naked all weekend, right? Um, which can work for some kids and for others, it doesn't. But um, then yes, like look, waiting for like Memorial Day weekend or the summer where it's like, they're not going to be cold if they're naked. Um, that can be helpful. But you don't have to. So I um, I actually just released a, a, my online potty training course for parents. And, and my method that I teach is a lot more gradual. That's what I was just going to um, ask you next. What yeah. are you going to use? Okay, so where can we find that? I usually ask that at the end, but where can we find that? No, that's okay. Yeah, so it's on my website. It's also linked in my Instagram uh, bio. So you can you can find it there. Um and maybe you can link it in the in the show notes. One hundred percent. Yep. But yeah, so that is a it's more of a gradual method, and I teach it in a in conjunction with your child's routine. So basically, what we do is we slowly introduce them to the concept of sitting on their potty, you know, without anything on um, the bottom. Slowly, once a day, and then maybe we increase it to three times a day, and then eventually we get it to multiple times a day, and they're likely going to start going in their toilet at that point because they're comfortable um and then we can choose a day where choose a day in the future where we think you know they no longer need diapers that's kind of the method i teach it does take longer so you have to prepare for it more um but a lot of parents find it helpful especially if their child has any sort of like fear they seem really scared or anxious of the of the potty which is common as they get a little older i would say like three four years old um and it also works for parents who like the idea of doing it more gradually and not having to like stay home all weekend with their kids peeing all over the floor yeah <laughs> which could happen so, that's so yeah, you true can, you can learn more it's, it's linked on my website and it has more information about like how it works there too. perfect yeah and i'll put it in the show notes and i'm gonna actually when this airs um i'm gonna have a, i'm gonna um share a bunch of your content that you have so we can all go follow you too because everything you yeah. share is just amazing and so helpful i feel like everybody should go follow you um i did have another question one more question about potty training and then i want to ask you about <laughs> newborn sleep but um okay. the potty training thing when your child is like, what do you recommend in these situations where you put them on the potty and they're immediately like, okay, I'm all done. Like, yeah, and they didn't so, even sit there. <laughs> is that happening to you? Sometimes, like it sometimes yeah. happens. Yeah. So I think it depends at what stage you're at in the process. Like, so in our example with our kids who are still fairly young, I would say don't do anything. Just kind of let them pop up because we don't want to, them to feel like they're being forced to sit there and think of it as a negative experience but you know if you're a little farther along and you kind of like know they can do it and they have to go a few ideas are a staying in there like if they're in the bathroom staying in there with them can really help um you know again if they're a little older and you kind of assume you can like go in the kitchen and do something else like sometimes they just want you in there with them yeah another idea is to bring a book or a like favorite toy in that they can hold 
sometimes if their hands are busy, um, they're more likely to want to just sit and stay there. And then some kids do well with timers, not in a like, uh, you know, negative punishment type of way, but in a like, hey, let's see if we can sit here for 30 seconds. Like, let's set a timer on our phone. Um, and maybe, maybe you sit and sing a song together or something, just make it, making it a little bit more interesting than just sitting there and doing nothing. Yeah. That makes so much sense. Yeah. She's been doing really well with potty training, I have to say. Um, but it's really funny because like she'll like poop or pee on the potty. And sometimes maybe now, just now, and that's been weeks that we've been kind of just slowly introducing, um, she started to understand when she goes, but there were times like in the beginning that she would literally be pooping on the potty and I would get all excited. And she's like, I don't even know what you're like, <laughs> the problem, like nothing. Like yeah, she yeah. was not phased. I'm like, wait, how can I make you understand what's going on? <laughs> like look down. <laughs> well, that is, that's interesting. So that again, my like science nerd is coming out, but that concept of, of, um, understanding like the sensations that are going on in your body is it's called interoception. It's, it's, it's a sense that we have. It's like a body sense that we have. It's, it's kind of part of body awareness and toddlers don't have that at first. So it's very normal that she may not have really noticed or even commented on her pooping. Yeah. Um, that's something that has to kind of like develop as they get a little older and just through practice of like understanding what it all feels like. Yeah. And I bring that up because I wouldn't want a parent to be in my situation and be like, wait a second, she's just not ready. Or like, they're just not ready. Let me just backtrack because there were, she had so many other signs that she was completely ready and like very interested. So then when I got to that point, even I was like, huh, maybe she's not ready, but Mm-hmm. You know, so I wouldn't want somebody to kind of get confused with that and then just yeah. be thrown off, if that makes sense. Yeah, that does make sense. I think that's that is important to comment on. And in that in that situation, you can just simply comment on it to her, right? Like mm-hmm. tell her what's happening. Um, yeah, absolutely. Start to learn it about it. Okay, so another topic I have to have to have to get into with you for a couple minutes is. The whole, I saw that you did a live recently about this um, and I watched it. I thought it was so amazing. I also, I'll tag that as well um, when this airs, but you talk about newborn sleep and kind of setting a nice foundation from the get-go. And so many people, I feel like there's just such a misconception around that and there can be so much baggage behind that but I think you talk about it so perfectly and it it could help so many people so do you want to just like tell me about it (laughs) sure sure and you're so yeah so so newborn sleep as I believe as you mentioned it kind of can open a whole can of worms um and so I'm gonna try I'll try to be pretty concise um there are so many different like beliefs and that relate to your culture, your upbringing, or whatever, your your values as a family that come into play. So I just want to say, first of all, like, there's no right or wrong here. Um, there are some things that are simply true based on science and evolution, but there there's no right or wrong way to navigate it. However, I also believe, and we talked about this in that live you mentioned, that there's so there's such a black and white kind of thinking about it. And I believe that establishing kind of like you said, a kind of a healthy routine-based foundation for newborn sleep from the beginning is really a really nice middle ground approach 
that I found so helpful as a first-time mom. I did too. Um, I did the same thing, and I think it's so worth talking about. That's why I was so excited yeah. to ask you about it. Yeah, yeah. So, so basically, I think there's two like camps people will fall into. You know, the one is that um, they don't really know what's normal and considered normal infant sleep, but they don't really want to look into it, and then they just basically end up doing nothing and kind of like you know, which is a good good in a lot of ways, following your baby's cues, reading their intuition. But then what happens is then they think, okay, but what, four or five months, maybe I'll try sleep training because I'm so sleep derived and I'm feeling horrible because I've been up all night for months. They are pro sleep training. I'll say that, you know, I put that in quotes because there's so many beautiful things we can learn about creating good habits around sleep. It doesn't all have to be letting your baby cry alone in a room. That's not how it works, but I think that middle ground approach, right? So what I believe is if we follow a age-appropriate routine based on feeding our baby frequently, following age-appropriate wake windows, um, how long they should only be awake at one time from the beginning, and acknowledging that it is very normal for babies to wake up and feed, need to feed to eat at night. Um, If we do that, what kind of beautifully, magically starts to happen is they will start to sleep longer stretches and you can get a little bit more rest yourself. Um, I don't know if I'm explaining this well. No, it to- it definitely makes sense. I mean, you're just kind of talking about how in the beginning setting that foundation. But mm-hmm. I I do want to ask like what are the what are some exact steps that mm-hmm. a brand new mother could hear? Yeah. Okay. So the first one is kind of basic, but it really helps babies. Newborns come into the world with zero sense of circadian rhythm, which is the sense of light. It's a sense of day versus night. And so they don't know when day is and when night is. So the first thing you can do to start to help them learn that is use light and like sunlight exposure and darkness to your advantage. So try your best during the daytime hours to keep your house really bright open the shades, even if you're like miserable and so tired, um, let your babies be see natural sunlight, take them on a walk. And then during the nighttime, even though you are going to be up with them, feeding them, try not to turn on too many lights, like try to keep it pretty dark. Um, because that's what actually literally helps form the chemicals and the hormones in their brain to learn the difference between day and night. Another thing I recommend doing is really working on feeding and getting your baby's feeding under control. And when I say that, I mean, like, I don't think it's easy to feed a newborn. Like, I think no matter if you're breastfeeding, bottle feeding, formula feeding, pumping, it's really hard. And I don't think we have enough support in our like healthcare system around that. And feeding is so entwined with sleeping because if a baby's not full and content, they're not going to sleep. They're going to want to feed a lot, right? So I always recommend like have lactation support, have feeding support like really seek it out um because if that again if that's not under control sleep's probably going to be a nightmare (laughs) and then the third thing i will say is um the the wake window piece i mentioned so there's there's you can like google these and i i want to say that these are not evidence-based actually so there's not really like super strong research that proves that this is true this is really just like anecdotal that we've seen um but 
babies at each age are, are there's a kind of like an ideal length of time that they should be awake in between each nap during the day, each, in between each sleep period. And if, it, if it's too long for their age, that can lead to a lot of overtiredness, which is like cranky, fussy, fighting sleep, like just like nightmare. Um, that so, like witching hour at night or yeah. yeah, which is common at that time, but like it, it's, it can cause your baby to be cranky and then not eat well. And then if they don't eat well, then they're not going to sleep well. And it's just like the whole mess. So if you can generally as best you can stick to those like wake window suggestions that will really help. Um, and I do have digital download routine guides for each age, which include suggested wake windows at each month um well each yeah it's really by weeks at the very beginning yeah <laughs> they change so much but anyways yeah I have those and you also can just do a quick google search for those um but those are yeah that would be my third tip so that then so then <laughs> you get so say you hear this and you're like okay I'm gonna start this foundation at with my newborn but you know what do you say to that mother that has a four-month-old and is sleep-deprived and doesn't know what to do and can barely keep their eyes open on their drive home from work type of deal? Like I, I literally have a friend I was just talking to the other day that's going through this. It's like, what is that? What is, how can you get into a routine? Where do you even start to get into a routine there? Yeah, so honestly, I feel for her and anybody going through that I had a really hard time as well at the beginning just being sleep deprived I think even if you follow a good routine right like you're still going to be sleep deprived it's really hard so first of all I would if, if possible I would recommend reaching out to either a pediatric sleep consultant that you that jive with that you kind of feel like they have a you know good method um, or reaching out for help for support for your family or friends or somebody who can help you at night. That's really hard to get. And I'm not going to lie. Like that's really hard to get. Right. But I think that we as moms, if we think we can just like do it alone and be up all night with our baby and then still function and like drive to the grocery store the next day, like it's, it's, that's really harmful. It's a harmful, like cultural mentality that I think we've been taught, like to just kind of suck it up yeah. and suffer through. So first I would say like, you know, just reach out, reach out for help if you can. Um, there are lots of affordable like sleep programs out there um, that will help guide you into a routine. I don't know. I, I, my guides might be helpful if you're more of like a DIY person and you just want to like read about it. Um, but yeah, don't be afraid to like ask for help. I personally had a mental breakdown at month three. <laughs> like what was it's that no like joke what was that like for you if you don't mind talking about it like how did that how did you get out of it what how what were the signs yeah I mean I say mental breakdown lightly I don't want to use that term right like yeah not not a joke like I I just had a very difficult moment. time um yeah um yeah I'm happy to talk about this I struggled a lot postpartum and it's you know even as a professional in in the baby child development sphere like it was really hard becoming a new mom um it I I think for me what was difficult is I was exclusively breastfeeding and pumping but at night I was exclusively nursing and so just con the consecutive you know months weeks months of nights of broken up chunks of sleep for me really affected my mental health and my mood I think 
everybody's so different, right? Like some women I know truly can function fine on chunks of sleep like that, but I couldn't like, so one morning, I don't even know if I've ever told this story publicly, but I think it was like week 10, maybe week nine or 10. And he was starting to sleep longer chunks at that point, but not, I was still up like at the night in the night. I think it was like 4 a.m. and I had just fed him and he was being super fussy and you know my husband's sleeping next to me and mm-hmm. I'm up and I just I tried to put him back in his bassinet and he like wasn't having it my son not my yeah husband. my husband <laughs> and he was fussing and crying and I just like was I just like laid down on my bed and like broke down in tears like you know when you're in like that like yep. dry heaving almost like yep crying ugly tear moment and like it woke my husband up and he was there to support me but I think I just had reached my breaking point of realizing like I've been up every single night for 10 weeks probably more because at the end of pregnancy you don't sleep um and I needed support so I mean this cascaded into a lot of things but just realizing like can my husband wake up and do a night feed like is it okay if I have to skip a pump session and give a bottle of formula? That was really hard for me to, I didn't realize that until month six. So I was super like anxious about that. But anyways, yeah. And also like during the day, can my mom come over and hold the baby? Can I get a good nap in? Like just, I think realizing that you can't do it alone. It's, and we're told we can, I think that's really dangerous. I think so too. I, you, I, you hit the nail right in the head for me. I think that was the biggest thing. And I feel like anytime anybody's comes to me and they're like, Oh, I'm newly pregnant. Cause you know, when you just have a baby, everybody's like, Oh, you just went through it. Like, what's your advice? I'm always like, I always say the same thing. Like use any help you can get. That is such an important thing to know. And I don't really like this culture of, of kind of spreading, like, do it, you know, you don't complain, you just kind of do it, you know, mom power, blah, blah, blah. It's like mom power only goes so far because any mom can break, you know. Um, and it's a beautiful thing and it, it's it's really amazing. But I do remember a time specifically like you were kind of saying in the middle of the night and um, she went through a lot of like belly issues and pooping things, mucusy poop and all these like weird things and tongue tie and so yeah, I was doing those stretches at night and just so many different things. And it was just crazy. And I remember me and my husband always like just sitting up in the middle of the night Googling, like, why is my baby doing this? Why does my baby do this? When will my baby, do, you know, whatever it was. And I remember just like crying one time being like, this is, you know, it's just so overwhelming. And I was a hormonal mess after I had her. I wasn't during my pregnancy. It was like all those hormones that some people deal with during their pregnancy. I didn't deal with at all, but it all like, swarmed me when I had her and um we just like I was crying and he was you know being supportive and we just all of a sudden it was like one in the morning start cracking up laughing like what are we even doing like because it's just such a ridiculous thing like googling because we're trying to take care of this baby and keep this baby alive like it's just so wild but I love what you said about just don't expect to be able to do it on your own because it's just that's not even feasible that's just not even realistic it's yeah you're 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 hitting him in all the head too I think it's it's not and that's literally my mission to like spread that awareness to to new moms or expecting moms and not to scare them but it's deep it's we've been told that I think it's a generational thing too like 
Um, but yeah, just preparing to have some help and accepting help and knowing that you're not a bad mom. You're not a weak mom if you feel like you're, you know, floundering doing it alone. That's not how humans were meant to be living. Like, we're, I, this is another side note, but like, you know, thousands of years ago or thousands and hundreds of years ago, even like we lived communally, we had support. We, we were with extended family. We weren't alone at night with our newborn. Like there were other adults there to help. So expecting that we can do it without help is totally unrealistic. Yeah. And you know, like you said, I feel like a lot uh, nowadays though, a lot of women are like, I just want it to be like the three of us. I just want it to be us when the baby comes home for me, which I really like to spread. Like, and I know, I know that not everybody has the luxury of this, but my mom actually like moved in with us for like a good month after my daughter was born. And I always say like, I know there's like this whole stigma of like, no, it needs to be you and the family and you and your new baby and your husband need to bond. But if you have that help and you have somebody that's willing to maybe come over every day for a couple hours or like as much help as you can possibly get that you're comfortable with, like then just open that up because it's, it was just so helpful mentally, I feel like, and emotionally and physically, I mean, to have somebody there. And mm -hmm. I do want to like, yeah, like kind of touch upon, you know, just kind of talk about how you don't have to, you'll have the bonding time. Like it's like having yeah. a newborn, the newborn's not gonna be like, oh my God, when I was four days old, somebody else was living with us. That's horrible. Like yeah. nobody's gonna. No, and I think what you're touching on, so I hear that too. And and I, I think that it can be both. So I think what you're touching on is that, and I believe the mom, the new mom and the new dad or you know your family unit, they don't necessarily need help with the baby. They really need help with everything else yep. that it takes to live and function and like run a household, right? So again, if your mother-in-law or your cousin or whatever is only coming over and they wanna hold the baby and then leave, that's not helpful. What's helpful is cooking a meal for you, doing your laundry, like picking up groceries for you, like maybe holding the baby just so you can shower and yep. come back, like, right? So if you can, your bond is really special for that baby and I don't wanna take that away from a new mom, because their job solely should be the new baby while somebody else can do all the other stuff. Yes, um, that yeah, that's so true. I'm glad you said that. Well, I, I know we're, we just ran out of time, but I wanna thank you so much for coming on. I think we kind of like shoved a bunch into yeah. this conversation, but I'm glad because I think that I think a wide variety of people can listen to this and, and take something, at least something from it. So I just want to thank you so much for coming on. Can you tell the followers and the audience, you know, where we can find you, what, what anything new you have coming up, anything like that? Yeah. Well, thank you so much for having me. I love, yes. I love talking about all of this stuff. Um, you guys can find me on Instagram. I'm most active. It's at rooted in routine. And then my website has all my information about what I offer. I have some free downloads. I have courses, um, eBooks and things like that. And that's just rootedinroutine.com. Awesome. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much. This was so fun. Yes. Thank you, Mackenzie.